Today, two interviews. First with Dr. Chris Reinhardt as we talk about the importance of a mineral program, not only for the vitality of your cows and their offspring, but how that plays out in the maturity of those young heifers that may one day be in your herd. How old she is at the moment, the day you turn the bulls in the first time is the number one predictor of how long she will stay fertile in your herd. Then a sit down with two ranchers, Niels Hansen from Wyoming and Ron Sherry of Nevada, as we discuss several topics like foot and mouth disease and are we starting to see our industry step back and come together on some important issues? We're in a, uh, an environment right now that's bringing people together. But what about those issues that have created division? Nothing is off the table as we discuss the beef checkoff and animal traceability. As ranchers, we tend to be an independent group. We don't like people telling us we don't like the government telling us this is what we have to do we've got a lot to cover so stick around on this episode of the working ranch radio show This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We are glad to have you joining us on our program today. Uh, look forward to sharing with you a great program here today. As you heard there in the opening, we do have a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to take too much time here on our opening. do want to remind you that coming up in the latter part of our program, of course, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be in with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents, and meteorologist Don Day will be stopping in as we take a look at that long-term weather. Now to introduce our first guest, as you heard there in the opening, Dr. Chris Reinhardt, who is a Beef Cattle Technical Services Nutritionist with ZenPro. And Dr. Reinhardt, glad to have you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you, Justin. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, Dr. Reinhardt, I know you have a lot of years working and being in the cattle business yourself and know that for a lot of us, when we get into this time, we start to really analyze the nutritional needs and the and the health of our cattle. Not that other times aren't important, but we know for these cows that are carrying calves, uh, for some folks, you're in that third trimester area. For others, maybe you're a little ways out before we get to that. But nevertheless, it is a time where we really need to be analyzing the health of our herd. You couldn't be more right, Justin. A lot of her nutrition, we're going to have to deliver by hand in a lot of parts of the country this time of year. And also in the last couple of years, we've uncovered, uh, I'll call them kind of some tip of the iceberg type sleeping problems in our cow herd, particularly from a standpoint of undernutrition of various nutrients. And so it's really important that you get with your nutrition professional your veterinarian this time of year, the timing is perfect. Get on top of all of her nutrient needs, whether that be energy, protein, but also uh, the trace mineral aspect and in vitamins as well. Mm-hmm. I want to come back in a bit. I'm going to come back to what you just said about some of the sleeping problems because, uh, and we may be able to answer that in the next question here, but a lot of times, I think in years past, there's been a mindset that we, when we look at a, at a nutrition, at a, excuse me, at a mineral program, that it's only applicable for certain times of the year. And we've definitely seen a little bit more research and let, a lot more study out there they're showing that it's just not a, a certain quarter of the of the year that you look at at a mineral program. It is something that has some validity for a year-round type program. Let's talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah, for the producer who really want to optimize their genetics that they've invested in, and we all understand that the cost of good genetics have done nothing but increase recent times, but also the value of one more calf. What's the value of one more calf? 
at weaning time, unprecedented high markets right now. And so to leave anything on the table right now is really hurting our opportunity for profitability. But then back to the genetic side, to set up the cow herd for short-term and long-term success, we've got to start, I guess, I always go back to the analogy of big rocks, little rocks, and sand, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, as we're trying to really optimize fertility of the cow, fertility of the heifer, and fertility of the bulls, we've got to really go through our nutrition program with a fine-tooth comb. And for the producer who wants to get the most out of their cow herd and retain those high-value, best genetic females, Zinpro Vela 4 is really an option they need to look at with their nutrition professional and their veterinarian. Mm -hmm. As you talk about that, we've we've addressed the fact this time of the year where a lot of the feed is coming, maybe manually fed uh, for some folks, maybe for other folks, it's still they're out grazing, but it's on a poor nutrition type of, you know, maybe it's just standing grass or whatever that may be. Nevertheless, we are looking at down the road at some point, these cows are going to be calving for some folks. They're in third trimester for other folks. It's a ways out and really need to be looking at that. You talked a little bit about, you know, good, healthy calf, and it's going to start basically Basically, we've got to get that cow on a good nutritional plane to where she's got something to pass on to that calf. That's exactly right. We've got to be thinking of that calf this time of year, like you said, whether they're early or late spring calvers. While that calf is still inside his mother is the optimum time to start thinking about the ultimate health of that calf for two reasons. Number one is Uh, the cow is very good at passing nutrition to the calf while it's still gestating. But then number two, we've got to set that cow up and especially the heifer portion of our herd to make the best possible and the most possible colostrum and the best quality colostrum that we possibly can because we all know once that calf hits the ground, colostrum is the primary source of immunity for that calf for a number of weeks and months after it is born. And so the only way to do that is by taking optimum care of the cow and the heifer right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the things that's interesting, and I'm going to kind of jump a little bit away from nutrition, but I think we can come back to that a little bit with this as you answer this, is that our cattle industry right now, we're seeing the smallest herd that we've seen in years, and the growth in that herd rebuilding is, is extremely slow, and it's really a time where there's going to be a lot of focus on our females in addition to our bulls out there, but if there's ever a time to be really looking at, and you addressed it a bit ago, longevity in our cows, getting one more calf, boy, this is the time. Yeah, it's actually an exciting time. I have been doing this a long time, several decades, and it's an exciting time for the rancher for a change. Um, Not that we still don't experience some some bumps and ups and downs, as you well know, Justin, (laughs) but uh, it's really an exciting time to think of this upcoming calf crop and i like the word you use longevity so number one the value of one more calf has never been higher so we've got to really go through with a fine tooth comb but the thing i like to remind people is the number one predictor of longevity of our females is the day she was born how old she is at the moment the day you turn the bulls in the first time is the number one predictor of how long she will stay fertile in your herd. 
we dramatically reduce the risk of her falling out of the herd due to infertility or coming up open simply by giving her another 21 days on earth. Mm -hmm. And so number one, let's have one more calf this, this spring, but then number two, let's have all of our calves as early as possible in the calving season so that we can retain those high value genetics for 10 years and beyond. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's interesting there. As you were talking about that, the thing that come to my mind was just the fact that really from from the standpoint when, when we look at a mineral program, it, and we talk about it, our genetics, you know, we want good foundation genetics in our, in our genetic herd. But at the same time, foundationally, it, it, as you said, it starts when that calf is born and getting, getting that, that replacement heifer, a good solid start. And it's, when I look at this and I hear you talking to me, it sounds like we're just really putting a good foundation under these animals from day one. Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of work with cow herds all across the country, but in the, in the mountain West in particular, we've got tremendous weather challenges from this point forward mm-hmm. into and through calving season. And if anything, Justin, we've got to be even more watchful this time of year for things such as body condition score. That cow and especially that heifer and especially that coming second calf heifer can slip on a dime. She can be good one month. And if we have some significant weather events and we haven't really taken care of nutrition and boosted the nutrition available, uh, she can slide backwards in a very short amount of time. And so body condition score is number one. Uh, But again, I'll reiterate, the entire nutrition program needs to be optimized right now. Something we haven't touched on, we talk about these excellent genetics we've got available. Well, the dirty little secret of those awesome genetics is they're different than your granddad raised Mm -hmm. 30 and 50 years ago. And so the needs of that cow and even that heifer are much greater uh, than they would have been 30 to 50 years ago. And so the cow is different. The heifer is different and we've got to provide a higher level of nutrition than we might have done just a few short decades ago. Yeah. Dr. Reinhardt, you had mentioned a bit ago about some sleeping problems that have been identified that mineral can now start to handle those situations. And maybe you've already addressed some of those. What, what were you meaning when you said some of the sleeping problems that we've identified in the last several years in our beef industry? First and foremost, I think we've come a long way in the last 30 years or so in being really vigilant on the trace mineral aspect, copper, zinc, and manganese primarily. And those those are the first place where Avela 4 can come in and really revolutionize the nutrition program for the cow herd. But then the other one I want all the producers and their veterinarians to be aware of is vitamin stability in the free choice mineral program. And there's a number of producers who are very progressive and forward thinking producers who are feeding a free choice mineral and have been for years. But one thing we've learned is vitamin A and secondly, vitamin E, but primarily vitamin A is only stable in that product for a limited amount of time and and get with your nutrition professional to confirm what that is. But I guess the gross example is if the mineral 
pallet has been sitting in the abandoned uh, freight train trailer on the back 40 for the last 18 months, the vitamin A in that product is virtually zero, hmm. even though the label still reads what it did two years ago. Uh, vitamin A is not stable long term. And so we've had a number of herds have difficulties, health challenges, primarily in baby calves, newborn baby calves uh, that turn out to be vitamin A deficient, even though they might have been feeding what they thought was an adequate level of vitamin A. Hmm. You know, that's not something I guess I was fully aware of or had put it all together, but it makes sense that there would be a shelf life or a life uh, where the efficacy of that product is in its most primes, but it makes a lot of sense. Dr. Reinhardt, you referenced a couple of times the product available for, and I think uh, it's important that we let folks know just kind of how that, how they would be able to get their hands on that, or if they want to look and see what products carries the available for in their mineral package. So how would they go about doing that? Yeah, again, I try to emphasize that for the producer that really wants to get the most out of their herd, they really need to talk to their nutritionist, their their feed provider, or their veterinarian about getting Avela 4 into their mineral program and into their feed program. It's the best way to optimize nutrition. It's the single best way to make sure we, number one, get another calf and make sure we keep those heifers, prepare those heifers and keep those heifers in the herd for a long period of time. You bet. And I think with that too, you know, we could talk profitability in, in all of this. And I think if folks really dial in and listen through our conversation here today, you're going to be able to draw the parallels between where you see profitability in this in terms of good, healthy calf, getting longevity in your cattle herd. There's profitability. I think that's one of the biggest losses of, of revenue in our whole entire industry is longevity. And I think you can draw that correlation together. Uh, Dr. Reinhardt, before we go real quick, uh, is there a website that they can go to? I know Avela 4 is a product from Zinpro. Maybe a little bit about the company and about where they can get more information on the product. Yeah, it's been exciting not to go into too much detail, but Zinpro is an animal health and performance company, and we provide that through Optimum Nutrition. The first place to go just to learn a little bit more would be zinpro.com, just like it sounds. Learn more about Avela 4. We've got a veritable mountain, Justin, of research on cow-calf production and the benefit that Avela 4 can provide. Uh, But zinpro.com is probably the first place to go, but any of your local feed representatives would have abundant knowledge about Avela 4 and how we can help them help your herd. All right. Well, Dr. Reinhardt, I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. No, thank you, Justin. This is a tremendous program. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. And again, Dr. Chris Reinhardt joining us here today on the program. Some very valuable information. I know there's some things I didn't know that he shared with us here today about this. So I come away with learning a little bit more and I hope you did too as well. By the way, if you want to find out more about the product, we talked about Avela 4 from Zinpro. You can go to their website at zinpro.com. Well, stay with us when we come back. We'll continue on with the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Nothing delivers a better return on investment like cattle health. Set up the next generation for lifetime performance with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve reproductive success in your herd with a 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. 
Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro have stronger immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Help protect your profits by partnering with Zinpro. And welcome back. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show as we change gears just a little bit, head now into our main interview here today. And really, this is coming on the heels as I'm sitting down at the table with a couple of gentlemen that I'll introduce here in just a moment as we are just going to sit down and have basically a roundtable type discussion on some of the topics that were talked about here at the Wyoming Star Growers Association's convention. And as you're listening to this, and I know you're more than likely, you're probably from another state than Wyoming. You're thinking, well, are they going to talk about anything that is relevant to what we do here in our state and i'm just going to say yeah we will because well many of the topics that we talked about here at at the uh, wyoming stock growers associations convention are extremely relevant to anybody in the ranching industry and and i think that was really uh from my standpoint is just to sit down with a couple gentlemen that do ranch uh, one from wyoming one from nevada coincidentally and we're just going to kind of have a roundtable discussion on some of those topics so first of all to introduce my guest joining us here today on the working ranch radio show nails hansen he's a third generation rancher from rollins wyoming if you're not familiar with where rollins is at it's located on interstate 80 it's kind of south central wyoming they have a cow calf yearling operation and that area is kind of considered the high desert area of wyoming pretty flat a lot of big tall sagebrush we had the opportunity to visit their operation many years ago when they were the wyoming stock growers association stewardship award winners and see what they've done on their operation in many areas including sagebrush mitigation and also he's uh, a past president of the public lands council so nails hansen one of our guests here today also joining us ron sherry now they ranch in northern nevada there in humboldt county and uh, a couple different units one in humboldt county one in elko county nevada they are cow calf fourth generation family ranch coincidentally he's also a county commissioner and he is also the secretary of the public lands council so we got a couple folks joining us here today that uh, not only ranch but also uh, are on leadership for the public lands council we'll talk a little bit about that later on but first of all gentlemen thanks for joining us here today on the working ranch radio show Thank you My for pleasure. Well, guys, like I told you last night when I when we lined this up to sit down and visit about just some of the topics that were talked about here at our convention, and and in a lot of ways, uh, not to be disrespectful to our livestock industry groups, but basically to set those folks just aside and us three as ranchers have an open discussion dialogue about some of the topics that were talked about. They're no doubt uh, just they're not exclusive to Wyoming because they're ranching issues, and if you run cattle anywhere in the country. These issues that we're going to talk about here today are extremely relevant to you all. I want to start right off the bat. Joe Goggins out of Billings, Montana, was uh, coming back from a sale out of Nebraska and was able to stop in and visit with all of us during a reception. And just to cut to the chase on the whole deal, guys, he was just getting to the fact that as uh, he was representing the Livestock Marketing Association that had recently done several different focus groups all across the country and trying to get down to the core of the things that we as an industry as ranchers in general can agree on and taking some of those topics that are controversial and not to ignore those but let's just set them aside and he was really emphatic that we need to spend some time focusing on the topics that we do agree on and one of those that he brought up that uh, we brought up here several times on our show and extremely passionate about as well was we've got to be thinking about how do we keep these family ranches in the families and not going out of business ron it's an important topic. 
It really is. The atmosphere out there, the ability to be part of a ranching operation is not what it was 30 years ago. The cost of everything, land, livestock, equipment, it's pretty hard for someone who comes from the outside that doesn't have that family help to to get started in that. And then again, there's a lot of a lot of issues out there. I think a lot of our kids on the ranches have seen how difficult it is to try to make a living to stay in business to to fight it seems like fight all the time with whether it's the federal agencies or whoever and it's much easier in the city to uh, get a good paying job and you know go home every night and get the weekends off and <laughs> all that stuff so yeah, yeah just to get kids to to they have to love it they have to they have to want to do this as a, a career to uh, get yeah. invo- stay involved Nels, I want to go to you next and go back to essentially the basis of what Joe was talking about the other night, and that was really getting uh, as an industry coming together on on issues that we do all agree on. And I guess as I was listening to that, and I have heard echoing sentiments from others in the industry as well, do you think we're getting at a point here within our industry and some of these groups that they're trying or seeing what they can do to be maybe a little bit more receptive or folks just in general a little bit more receptive to setting aside some of these things and knowing that we do need to come together on some of these topics? You know, I don't want to, I'm not critical of anybody or anybody's position on anything, but uh, unfortunate, or maybe I should say fortunately, we're in a, uh, an environment right now that's bringing people together mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, as a working our way through all our different local associations here, I've seen if your ox is getting gored, you come to the meeting and, and participate. But if everything's going pretty good at home, you look at it and say, well, you know, I really don't have time to go up there and spend two or three days. I need to st- stay here and take care of business, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But now everybody's uh, under the gun, so that's really bringing people together. And and when, when we're, you know, we have that heightened sense of uh, uh, insecurity or, or fear, uh, it's a lot easier to find f- common ground, and I, at least my experience. Yeah. Once we find that, and then we move forward, we never lose it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like we've kind of run a course here in the industry where we fought over issues long enough, where people are just getting tired, and it's not just in agriculture. Okay, for years people were were applauded for drawing a line in the sand and we're not going to change and we're not going to we're not going to come together and be dip- diplomatic on issues and we're finding that's getting nothing done right yeah that's correct you know we're we're such a small group anymore the number of ranches ranchers out there continues to decline um, we can't afford to be fighting I, I would love to see more people who think they have the answers and maybe they do have the answers uh get more involved it's easy to sit at the coffee shop or at the bar and complain about what's going on. We need more people to actually get involved. If you don't like what's happening, then, you know, step up and try to make that change, you know, within instead of just griping about it at the, at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I may, yeah. you know, Ron's exactly right. That, uh, a lot of people, uh, they have this perception that if they're going to come to the Wyoming stock growers and participate, they're going to go home with a job and they're going to have to invest a lot of time. <laughs> and that's not the case. But we need to hear everybody's opinion so we can find that middle ground. Yeah. If they don't come and talk to us, we we deal with what the information we have on the table. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah. In fact, one of the quotes that I'd heard somebody say it said, the world belongs to those that show up. 
and I, I feel sometimes we, we kind of get stuck on the ranch and it's pretty easy to then just get out of the communication. Uh, real quick, we're going to hit one more topic as we're moving through our convention here. And he, and he talked about this. We don't have a lot of time in this segment to talk about it. But estate tax, that was a big thing that Joe talked about the other, the other night as well. And that's something that's really, I know for years was a big issue. And then it kind of went away because we had some solutions there. But there's some, there's some elements with the estate tax we need to be aware of as well. Yeah, we're on a, a, a time clock right mm-hmm. now with the, the protection that we've got in place. It, I believe it's two years yeah. that it goes away. So that people need to you know, really get something put together and, and take some action. We've been uh, on our family ranch, we've been working on it for, for quite a while. We've got plans in place and everything, but we're going back and, and checking it all and redoing it all right now. And our plan's only five years old. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break here. My guest today, Nels Hansen, uh, he's a third generation rancher out of Rollins, Wyoming. A very cool and interesting family story about about Nels and the fact that you're as close to an immigrant family as I know, yeah. you know, with your yeah. family ranch coming out of, out of Denmark. Denmark. Yeah, yeah out of well, Denmark. Third generation ranch and my sister and I are first generation born American. There you go. So that's an interesting story. Also joining us, Ron Sherry out of Nevada fourth generation family ranch cow calf unit a couple of units that they run down in in nevada we're going to continue on with them when we come back here on the working ranch radio show there are lots of nutrition tubs out there but none can match the true blue commitment of vitalix our tubs offer you the most concentrated nutrition at the lowest cost per day that means more profit for your operation and improved performance for your cow herd In fact, research shows Vitalix tubs increase feed efficiency by 20% while boosting conception rates, herd health, and weaning weights. Learn more at Vitalix.com. Vitalix, the true blue tub. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as I'm joined here at the table with a couple other fellow ranchers as we are just basically rehashing and discussing some of the topics and the issues that were brought up at the recently held Wyoming Stock Growers Association's convention. Not really issues that are tied only to Wyoming. They're really pertaining to anybody in the beef and the ranching cattle industry. Nils Hansen, who's a third generation rancher out of Rollins, Wyoming, that's in uh, southern Wyoming, is a cow-calf yearling operation and also Ron Sherry, who ranches up in northern Nevada. They're a fourth-generation family ranch, a cow-calf uh, operation running on a couple units there in Humboldt County and and in Elko County, Nevada as well. Guys, as we move to one of the other speakers that was on hand, of course, was Colin Woodall, who's the CEO for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And uh, there were a lot of different things he touched on there, but it, it, to outline some of the, the key things, of course, right off the bat, there's concern not only by uh, their organization, Organization, by, but by many of the industry organizations on getting a farm bill passed. We know, as they've said, that if something does not happen in the first quarter of next year, that uh, this, the ability or the chances of it happening in 2024 start to go down dramatically due to the fact that it is going to be an election year. So that was definitely a, a high priority. But in addition to that, there are other things. One of the things right off the bat, I think for a lot of us that have some concern, is foot and mouth disease. Now, when we talk about foot and mouth disease, there's a lot of different side topics that go along with that. Uh, one of the things that he outlined specifically was getting that vaccine bank built up, understanding and knowing that if foot and mouth disease ever hits the country, it's going to be extremely detrimental to our U.S. cattle herd or the North.
North American cattle herd for that matter. And there's some elements of that all coming into play, which leads to the other discussion that happens that has some consternation with our on our own industry, which is traceability. And Nels, uh, regardless of where we're at or where you believe uh, on certain some of the side issues within the issue of foot and mouth disease and traceability, it is something that we really need to be coming up with a conscious plan on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. And by just sheer luck, uh, there was a, a group that did a, a study right down Interstate 80, where a large part of our operation is, and they uh, uh, calculated how quickly uh, a foot and mouth could spread uh, down the interstate system. If we had one instance, uh, something got thrown mm-hmm. across the fence and into our livestock, it is, it is mind-boggling. It's terrifying to see how fast it spread through and just wipe yeah. us and all our neighbors out. Yeah. Well, and with that, I want to be balanced a bit in this, but there is some realness to this, and I and I just want to have that discussion real quick, Ron. And, and from a from a standpoint of just let's lay the affiliations to the side and let's as ranchers have that discussion amongst ourselves about traceability and the issue of foot and mouth disease. Well, on traceability, you know, as as ranchers, we tend to be an independent group. We don't like people telling us, mm-hmm. we don't like the government telling us, this is what we have to do. On a personal side of this, I've, I've been individually ID and using uh, electronic ear tags now for better than 20 years on our operation. Because, you know, it, it's a marketing tool for me. We've got to understand this is what the public wants. They want to make sure that their their food is safe. They want to know where it comes from. And we can either fight that or we can join. I, I still have problems with, you know, with the government mandating mm-hmm. it. But I think that the public acceptance for this is what the public wants. The marketplace is going to drive this. I think that you're going to receive more for for the calves you can sell or the cows because they are individually IT traceable. Um, A lot of my beef goes to Walmart. If you want to sell cattle to uh, Walmart, you have to individually ID. If If I don't want to, well, then I take Walmart out of that equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you hit a good point there. And that was something that Colin mentioned. that They were in favor of, of traceability, not mandatory, but voluntary. And looking at it as some element of an insurance plan. And I, what made me in my head think about this was, you know, we've got a lot of companies here in the trade show area. And anybody that goes to any of the national show, shows are going to see they're selling livestock risk protection programs and there's a that's kind of a big push right now and there's really a lot of value in those things to us as ranchers and we're willing to do that but then we're balking a little bit at animal traceability and and putting these tags in our cattle and you're right nails when you said how fast that could move down an interstate or down a highway and we have to step back i think and look at this from if something were to go we were to get that boy, we, we need to have some protection and this, you know, the traceability has that. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to toot the horn on, on that entirely. Cause I, I also like the idea of voluntary versus mandatory, but I mean, Nails, your thoughts on traceability. Well, I agree with Ron. We've been using electronic tags on our cattle also. We haven't done so much on uh, the marketing like he's doing. We've 
retained ownership and fed the cattle out and, and pursued it that way. Whether you've uh, got the, the cattle tagged or not, an awful lot of our industry doesn't understand just how much the quality and the depth of the records that the, the packers and the feeders have on these. You know, when, the, when our cattle come up for sale, they automatically know what they're going to grade, what they're mm-hmm. how they're the size is going to be what's percent of prime or at least close so it, it it's really uh, there's a lot of information out there already without even tagging them and you know we need to recognize that it's a new world you know on the marketing side he was talking about the, it's a big thing in the uh, other countries that they pick up a package of meat out of the the rack and they go over to a scanner and lay their package on there and they pop up picture of where the animals uh, raised, the, the family that was raising it, they want that tie back to the land. They want to know that there's a, a family operation back there that's taking care of things and doing it right. Mm-hmm. When we talk about this, it, I mean, some of these topics sort of meld together in fringes and on, the, on different things, but it kind of leads us down a little bit of a road of part of the concern with FMD is imports. And, and, of course, that conversation comes up. I know every ag entity in the country right now, there's some definitely some common ground in the fact of not wanting to see beef coming in from Paraguay that we're hearing about now. That's a big concern. But the other thing, when we start talking about imports, and this came up, I don't remember what conversation or who was presenting, but we were talking about imports. And I don't know if it was you asked or somebody asked about the fact of, you know, why do we have, why do we even have imports? That's a topic that I think needs to have a little bit more. People need to think through that, and, and we need to have that conversation. Well, I, I did that, ask that yeah. question of Colin because I have, uh, have friends in the audience that, that, uh, that you know, they uh, have been staying home, taking care of business, raising their families, haven't been coming to stock growers. They didn't realize how badly our industry or the, the meat industry needs those, those uh, lean animals from the other countries because our cattle are are such high quality and and they're so fat that they can't get a uh, you know a low percentage grind for mm-hmm. for hamburger mm-hmm. without yeah. without having those outside kettle yeah ron your thoughts well you know we aren't in, in an isolated world anymore if we want to be an isolist here you know a big part of why our prices are what they are is because of exports you can't expect that we're only going to export and not import it has to be a trade-off. If we were to shut our markets down as far as imports, there would be reciprocation there and wouldn't make prices any better here. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's my feeling. Yeah. And I think, too, that just the fact, Nels, that you mentioned, too, is, I mean, they're just the grind. I mean, just physically the grind that we're needing to fill that. Otherwise, I mean, if they had to give us, you know, if we had to try to fill that ourselves, first of all, we're, we're at our lowest beef herd numbers that we've had in years so we physically just don't have it so we're going to take another break here my guest today uh, joining us here on the working ranch radio show nels hansen and ron sherry as we're just kind of recapping and having a, a, a rancher discussion about some of the topics that were talked about at a recent stock growers meeting we're going to come back and and talk a little bit about some public lands things because as, as these guys both on the public lands council that's near and dear to their heart especially out of these western states there's some big topics there and we'll also hit on a couple other issues when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest is we're just sitting down here, sort of a roundtable type discussion with a couple other fellow ranchers, Niels Hansen out of Rollins, Wyoming, which is southern Wyoming, and Ron Sherry out of northern Nevada. And guys, we earlier mentioned uh, Joe Goggins was one of the speakers here at the conference. And one of the things as they were working as the, on behalf of the LMA Association to dial in and dial down on some topics that were important to their organization, things like uh, really us as an industry having to come together on issues things like in, in, in the endangered species act the estate tax borrowing ability is just some of the things that he mentioned but one of the things he said is that we threw some of the controversial topics off the table things like the beef checkoff country of origin labeling and traceability so he's not here so we're going to jump back into this topic of the beef checkoff and i know that there's been in the industry you know elements of that that's that has created some frustration at the same time it's also went before uh, litigation and come out and still still functioning out there as we move ahead there is as they talked about there's the off act and that stands for opportunities for fairness and farming and introduced by senator cory booker also senator mike lee out of utah who's a western senator is part of that too ron Tell me your thoughts a little bit. You're asking me what my thoughts are on the beef checkoff? <laughs> Is that right? Okay. <laughs> well, checkoff's probably been going on now probably 40 years or so. And from its very beginning, it's been controversial. It's been always been my feeling that every industry has to promote its product and that the checkoff deal is something out that we really we need to continue it's been a dollar for 40 years as well is that enough mm-hmm. sometimes i ask myself you know everything else has gone up why hasn't the <laughs> checkoff gone up you know and and i think we have to be prepared i know a lot of the controversy is in how it's administered and who who administers that i, I mean that's that's good debate i mean it, it i think that keeps us honest keeps everyone honest uh, Colin told us that they're not the only contractor out there that manages the checkoff program. There's something like 16, I believe mm-hmm. he says, contractors out there. A lot of times the, the side that says that you know NCBA is profiting off of this really doesn't understand the program and how it's, how it's administered. So it'll continue to be a, a debated yeah. and there'll be people that don't like it yeah now i want to go to you about this off act that's being introduced because really it's doing nothing as far as eliminating the checkoff but it's about that really the the part of it is trying to bring what they feel is more transparency to it and the and the issue a little bit was there's already that transparency there to some extent but you know there's a couple ag groups that are for this and probably several of them that aren't but so we've got two you know people within the industry that some in favor of this and some against it yeah you know it's a subject that have got more tentacles than an octopus yeah for I sure. mean, it, it reaches out in various ways all over senator booker he's a diehard vegan he mm-hmm. really wants to do a lot to help the meat industry yeah. you know <laughs> but uh, yeah. he uh, claims he's trying to help the the small farmer and rancher i've been in dc testifying mm-hmm. when he was I was questioning us about that kind of stuff but you know he's grabbing a topic that's emotional and then he's capitalized on, on it now why senator yeah. lee's involved i can't, i uh, haven't been privy to any conversation to get a 
what his thinking is on that. But it's this is a huge topic, and people a lot of times forget, and, and the people that are opposed to it don't remind anybody. Industry voted this in. We, we did it, chose to do it years mm-hmm. and years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's been tested, like you said before, so it's still there. But like so many, the, the, the act itself is like so many things that are running through the political system. They say it's, it's going to do A, but actually the effect is B, and they got nothing to do with each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I worked in media years ago, and one of the things that was required with some dollars collected through the beef checkoff was to go back and just let ranchers know what the money is being spent for. And I've seen ads come up whether it's in facebook or different things like this and it frustrates ranchers well why are you advertising to us because we already have the product but i think sort of missing the point i mean there was there was mandates that were put forth of how that money is to be used whether it's to, to campaign the product to folks that are our consumers as well as education to the the ranchers and that's kind of been mandated in there and uh, i feel like it's sometimes there's almost a no-win situation for these guys that are running the checkoff and I've heard just the opposite also. You know, we hear it all. Yeah. If you, you, when you're out and going around and, and going to meetings like, like the, mm-hmm. the three of us have been to, I've been there and said, well, I never see an ad. Where's that money going? Yeah. Well, no, they're not running ads in Rollins, Wyoming. They're running in New York City yeah. where it'll do some good. Yeah. You know, and we just forget that sometimes. Yeah. We get caught up in the emotion and, and don't look at the big picture. Well, just that topic, you could take get caught up in the emotion and not looking at the at the fact or the issue as a whole as a whole i think we could throw that saying on about anything we've discussed here today (laughs) all right you guys are both very heavily involved in the public lands council and so i want to talk spend the rest of our interview talking just a little bit about that we don't have a lot of time but we both just walked all three of us just walked out of a meeting where we were listening to a legislator out of southwestern wyoming on concerns over the rock springs RMP and and I know for folks listen we had a lot of folks listen that are are in states that don't have public lands and probably don't understand this situation but as we were talking before we went on air it's important that even though you're in a state that doesn't have public lands probably listen you know kind of tune in what's going on because this stuff is coming from Washington DC this is coming from Washington DC. Yeah, it's a it's we all you're you know, you're out of Nevada, a gob of public land out of Nevada. We're in Wyoming. There's a got especially in your part of the country, there's a gob of land checkerboarded all through there of public lands. So as we come away from that, just your th- quick thoughts, uh, and I'll go to each of you on this, about these issues right now and on how we're going to handle these public lands, this one specifically on BLM. Yeah, it, uh, there's so much of the what the government does uh, in, in the so-called managing uh, uh, federal lands that uh, crosses the border that, and it has a huge effect on private property. That map that we were just mm-hmm. looking at for the transportation plan uh, pointed out, you know, right up the center of that to where there's going to be no act- access. There's not going to be any vehicles out there if you can drive out, but you can only be there for an hour and you have to leave again. Uh, there's a, a strip through there 40 miles wide that every other section is, is uh, private property. Well, the property owners, and we're one of them, mm-hmm. we're just blocked off. We can't, we won't be able to operate anymore. So it's a direct attack on private property rights. And that's where yeah. PLC gets into uh, issues from time to time because I, I tell everybody, you know, yes, we're the Public Lands Council, but in actuality, we're the Lands Council because we we get uh, brought in and, and have to defend it all, yeah. private and federal. 
Yeah, yeah. Ron, what about you? I mean, boy, Nevada's got a gaba, a public land as well, and, and you're dealing with, you've had your own issues beyond just the Rock Springs deal, but I know every every state that's got public lands is watching what's going to go on in southwestern Wyoming because it's going to affect the whole western part of the, half the country. Yeah, Nevada is 87% federally owned. So as ranchers there, we uh, our operations are are tied to our federal lands they would not there wouldn't be a viable ranching operation in nevada if they couldn't use our federal lands um i think people whether whether you you're in a federal land state or not need to watch what's happening out there i mean it has a lot to do with endangered species water Mm -hmm. those are all issues that that will affect you whether you're on federal lands or on private lands what comes down in in the west when it, in regards to the federal government uh, telling us what roads we can use, uh, how we can use the water that we believe, you know, state the states manage the water, and we have to make sure that the federal government recognizes that and that those waters are actually personal property of ours, even if it's on federal land. Our state laws, in, like in Nevada, is a use it or lose it state. If, if you don't use that water, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And if you lose it, that is, you're losing value in your ranches. So just because it's federal land doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned about it. Yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate you joining us here. We kind of scratched the surface, really, on a lot of things that was talked about here. I mean, they were some big topics, but I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and just kind of have a discussion about it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. And again, my guest today joining us here today as we just rehash a little bit about some of the th- topics we talked about at the recently held Wyoming Stock Growers Association Convention, Nels Hansen out of South Central Wyoming, uh, Rollins, Wyoming, more specifically, and Ron Sherry out of Northern Nevada. Appreciate them taking the time to sit down with me here this morning and uh, just kind of visit about some of these topics that are relevant to any of us in the cattle industry across the country. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to hear from the Captain Tim O'Byrne on this week's edition of Tim two cents and meteorologist Don Day will be stopped and meteorologist Don Day will be checking in as we take a look at our long-term weather stick with us we'll be back on the working ranch radio show after this Fascinated by our wild weather? Now you can learn, appreciate, and understand the weather in your own backyard with the new Tropo Rain Gauge. Having achieved the highest rating of any product reviewed by theweatherstationexperts.com, the Tropo boasts rugged durability, impeccable accuracy, and precision to the hundredth of an inch. Visit measurerain.com to order a Tropo today and use code RAINDAY, that's R-A-I-N-D-A-Y, for free shipping and 10% off. Go to measure rain.com Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Before we hear from the Captain Tim O'Burnham is making me think about the fact that I know he's been real busy here as of late getting things ready for the next issue of the Working Ranch magazine coming out. He and all of the team busy getting things pulled together for that and uh, you, I can just rest assured right now that you will be expecting and have in your hot little hands and in your mailbox coming up at the first of the year the next new issue of Working Ranch magazine and like I've said uh, we are in the time of the year where I remind you this is a great opportunity to buy somebody a subscription as a Christmas gift. It's pretty simple to do. You can go to workingranchmag.com and you can simply do it there. Well, let's now check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. 
Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Justin, last week's episode 145 was excellent. Well, all your episodes are really excellent. But this one with uh, respected industry consultant Neville Spear was uh there's a lot of information packed into that uh, interview, folks. I encourage you to go back and check it out on any podcast platform. And it was so good, actually, we condensed it and we're going to run it in the uh, Jan Feb issue to kind of show uh, folks what we're talking about here. One of the interesting points that you brought up is uh, you asked Neville what he thought about the uh, plant-based protein uh, ventures and what's going on with that. And his answer was, it's a dead business. And I can tell you folks, uh, and you know that I've been watching, I watched the meat case here. We're living in a very large urban center, Southern Nevada. Uh, Christine and I went to the Kroger's here the other day and they are doing a big refit of this mega box store that we go to. And I've been watching and reporting on the, uh, diminishing of the meat alternative uh, section of the meat case uh, over the last four years has gone from 58 inches all the way down to nothing. And so they're refitting this store. I went in and looked with a fine tooth comb to see if there was any plant-based protein section in the new meat case. And there is none in that particular Kroger store. So that is good information to know. And uh, back to you in the booth, Justin. All right. Thanks, Captain. And I was kind of chuckling a little bit, recalling something that happened this past week during the Wyoming Stock Rose Association's convention. One of the speakers had asked everybody in the crowd if they had tried a plant-based burger or piece of meat. And of course, he said, even if you did, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> this wasn't the crowd you were going to raise your hand in. Uh, nevertheless, I don't think really in that crowd there had been any takers on that. And I think that's the story worldwide, not just with ranchers, as we well know, but just the general consumer when it comes to plant-based beef products. Well, let's switch gears now and check in with meteorologist Don Day, who's standing by with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, you and I were joking before we went on air how as we look ahead into this coming week and the next couple of weeks here in the month of December, what this weather's going to look like, it's just kind of this, uh, well, just let's wait and see and see how this is going to play out. There's We do know there's a lot of cold building up, clear up in the North Pole, I guess, if we're in talking Christmas terms this time of the year. And at some point it's going to have to break free. And in the meantime, we're just kind of sitting here waiting. Yeah. I tell you, there's, there's a lot going on uh, in the Northern hemisphere. You mentioned the cold uh, over the past week, we've had temperatures between 50 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit below zero in parts of Siberia. And there's mm. been a large cold air outbreak in the last couple of weeks across a lot of Europe. And that now has uh, shifted a little bit more East into Russia, parts of Northern Asia and it's, it's a lot of cold air, but it's on the other side of the globe. Uh, so that's one reason why, relatively speaking, it really has been fairly mild so for this time of year across a lot of the 48 states. Then we're also looking at El Nino still going on out in the Pacific. That's adding warmer, more mild air into the lower 48 states at times. But also, it's kind of like gas and matches because... Uh, we've got matches up in with that cold air in, in the uh, northern latitudes on the other side mm-hmm. of the globe. And we've got this El Nino, which is kind of like gas. And so we're a little concerned because when you put those two together, that could cause a wide variety of weather. So uh, we're watching those two phenomenon and seeing how they interact. 
and how they interact is something that I think our our weather modeling tools are are kind of having difficulty with. Mm-hmm. Trying to nail down a forecast past three or four days right now is very, very difficult. Yeah. Well, and as we look at what it's already done, it's really pushed a lot of moisture west of the Continental Divide. Now, this last week, we did see a little bit some some storm come on the west or on the east side of the divide and in through the northern plains just a little bit. But for the most part, the west half of the country has really seen a lot of weather, more specifically the northwest. Yeah. And the Pacific Northwest is one area that in an El Nino winter, does tend to be drier than normal, but they have seen a lot of weather in Washington, Oregon, uh, uh, portions of Idaho, uh, far northern California. But, you know, central and southern California, a lot of Nevada, Utah, Arizona, uh, hasn't seen much of really anything. Um, northern Plains as well hasn't seen anything real significant, although we have seen some winter weather here recently over the last few days going to those areas. One part of the U.S. that's been wet and will continue to be wet as part of the Southern Plains in the Southeastern United States. And we are keeping an eye on our, on a potential storm situation that may bring rain and snow uh, to parts of New Mexico, uh, Texas, uh, maybe Southern Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma. Um, so we're seeing activity that you associate with El Nino, which is a wet pattern in the South and Southeast that's developing, but the wet weather that you usually get in Central and Southern California and parts of the southwestern United States hasn't kicked into gear yet. Mm-hmm. But this is a different El Nino. It's not going by the usual El Nino rules. And I don't think it I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. So uh this is kind of one of these situations where, hey, here, hold my beer. Let's <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, Don, appreciate you checking in with us on a look at our long-term weather. Sounds good. And again, you can catch meteorologist Don Day each and every morning on his daily video podcast at dayweather.com. By the way, while you're at his website, maybe check out some of the things he has for sale. Uh, If you have somebody in your life that's kind of a weather enthusiast, well, there's some things on the website that might make some good Christmas presents. Check it out at dayweather.com. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll tell you what's in store for next week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Coming up next week, you're not going to want to miss this. It's Beef on Dairy. That will be our topic as Dr. Ty Lawrence with West Texas A&M University will be our guest. I've got a lot of questions. I'm sure you do, too. Be sure to tune in on next week's show. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. My email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. I'm Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.